0: Let's go straight into the word of the Lord. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33, beginning with verse number eight. And I'm gonna bring Joshua before you today, okay? And we're gonna be talking and looking, examining his life and looking there. There will be other verses that we look at this morning, but our text is coming from Exodus chapter 33, starting with verse eight. Let me read it for you. Whenever Moses went out "'To the tent of meeting, all the people would get up "'and stand in the entrances of their own tents, "'and they would all watch Moses "'until he disappeared inside the tent of meeting. "'As he went into the tent, "'the pillar of cloud would come down "'and hover at his entrance.'" Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? "'The pillar of cloud would come down "'and hover at his entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. "'When the people saw the cloud "'standing at the entrance of the tent,' They would stand and then bow down in front of their own tents, awesome. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as he speaks to a friend. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his most holy and infallible word. And the church said, Amen. There's two words that really stand out to me as I was just casually meandering through this passage this week. It's it's, remain behind. Can you say that for me? Remain. Joshua remained behind in the tent of meeting. He remained behind in the place of the Lord. He remained behind in the house of the Lord. He remained behind in the presence of the Lord. I was thinking about that and it certainly brought me to a story that I've, I've told two or three occasions about a songwriting friend of mine. Her name is Shannon, many of you will know her. She was formerly a worship leader um, for some period of time at Christ for the Nations. And our choir did a, a recording with her and I have been involved in many other recording projects with her for other uh, companies. And we were in Nashville one day, and she was the designated songwriter. My job was to be the producer, arranger, orchestrator, and sometimes that means the mediator between the songwriter and the record company. And that was kind of the situation we found ourselves in. However, Shannon, with her very sweet, humble servant spirit, she had written an incredible song, but something about the record company they they wanted to consider an alternate line somewhere it wasn't that big of a deal but they said hey could we consider a different lyric right here well if you know anything about songwriters they're, they're going to be pretty quick to defend their lyric because they've got all kinds of reasons why that lyric is there and they'll be flexible with you but uh, i could tell by her reaction that uh, this was going to be a challenge for her to agree to and so the, the dialogue continued and, and um, they were saying, well, we just feel like this and this and this. I don't even remember right now what the lyric was, but we feel like this and this, and it would be better if it went like this. And she was kind of silent. They, and they said to her, they looked at her and said, you wouldn't say that? That's not something that you think you would say in this song? And she paused, and it's a moment that got seared in my mind and in my heart forever. I will always remember it. And she paused, and she just kind of looked away, and she said, you know, I might go out and say that somewhere to someone but my tendency is to tell you that once i did that i would want to rush back into the feet of jesus shannon is a worshiper extraordinaire she understands it at a level that most people don't uh she's she's an incredible gal and that image of rushing back to the feet of jesus first of all it typifies my friend shannon Because that's what she does and spends most of her time doing. That's what she would want to abandon everything else, forsake everything else for the purposes of rushing back in to be at the feet of Jesus. So I'm going to put it in this vernacular today. I'm going to say she remained behind. The way I really want to say it is she stayed in the tent. She stayed in the tent. That's what Joshua did. Would you say that for me? Stay in the tent. Okay, now that's going to be your cue today. Now, you know I'm kind of an interactive uh, preacher. I always I do a little better, and I preach much shorter. That's my motivation for you. It may not be true, but I'm going to say it for you, if it motivates you. If you respond and let me, let me know you're there, because these lights are bright, and I can't really see you, and I, I don't like to preach to an empty room, I'd much rather you respond and let me know. So your phrase today is, stay in the tent. Stay in the tent. So when I point at you, you've got to be ready, Okay. So, you may ask, why do we need to stay in the tent? Well, let me give you a verse that begins to answer that why question. I find it in Isaiah 42. It says this, I will lead blind Israel down a new path, guiding them along an unfamiliar way. I will brighten the darkness before them and smooth out the road ahead of them. Yes, I will indeed do these things. I will not forsake them. Have you noticed, folks, that we are in unfamiliar territory? Has that come to your attention? Has it come to your attention that we are very much in uncharted territory? It's unfamiliar, uncharted. We must learn how to stay in the tent in order to know how to navigate the road ahead. So we look at Joshua. He was able to lead people into unfamiliar territory. Why? because he understood the value and the importance of remaining behind. He understood the value and the importance of staying in the tent. You know, these little things right here have become incredibly important to us. There's my granddaughter number two on right here on my home screen. and You kind of wonder how we get along without them. I um, had a couple of fine young men of the church uh, in our home this week to help me with a little project. One was about 17. The other one I think is about 21, so this has always been a part of their life. And so they were diligently working and doing the things I would ask them to do, and I said, now, can you do this and then this and this? And we kind of reached a a pause in our activity. I had to uh, go in the other part of the house and and get something, and and there was a pause. And what do you think, when they perceived there was a spare minute in the day, what do you think they did? What did they do? They both, I mean instantaneously, grabbed that phone, and those thumbs were just a flying. They were going. That's what they did immediately. They were doing I'm not sure what. And I happened to turn around and look at them at that very moment that they both quickly grabbed their phones and went after it. Something about seeing them both grab their phones just at that first opportunity prompted me to just, I couldn't help myself. I said, let me tell you about the good old days, boys. When we didn't have cell phones, you didn't have cell phones? And so we were in the kitchen area, and I said, see this wall right here? Now, back in the good old days, we would have put a wall phone right, right about here. Do you know what a wall phone is? Okay, and it had this dial on it. You take your finger and you dial, wow. You, you dial the numbers. And then not only did you, did you do that, it had a cord attached to it because you would take the receiver off. The receiver is the thing you put up to your ear and to your mouth so you can hear and you can talk and the other person can hear you. And there was a cord attached to it. And before we got longer extension cords, you had to stand within about three to four feet of that phone to talk. Who remembers? Somebody tell me you remember. Oh, just please tell me you remember. Remember? So you'd stand with that and you, you didn't walk anywhere. And then the day came and we got longer extension cords and, 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 and you could literally, you could take that receiver, you could go all the way to the sink about right here. And mama could do this and keep doing dishes while she's talking, t- talking on the phone. But that's about as far as you could. You couldn't, you were tethered to that. You couldn't go nowhere. Folks, the longer I talk, the bigger their eyes got. Like, are you serious? And so then I had to take it one step further. I said, Have you ever heard of a party line? (laughs) Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Raise your hand if you have no clue what I'm talking about. Okay, it's not about having a party. (laughs) So I, I began telling them about my wife Becky being raised on a farm in a small community in Iowa and how they had a party line. And I just. Uh, asked her last night I said how many families see what that meant was you weren't the only people who had that line who had that phone line and there were other people particularly out in the country there were other people who shared that same line with you and I and I was thinking it was two or three people and you told me last night as many as eight families shared the same you realized there was no such thing as a private conversation because I'm telling you, you, if you need to use the phone, you go pick up the receiver, and if somebody else in your party, which up and down the, that country road where you would use that whole line, if one of them was on the phone, and them women can stay on and talk for hours. If they're, if they're on the phone, you have to wait till they're finished before you can make your phone call, and you might could wait a long time. Does anybody remember this? Okay, well, that's the way it was and as many as eight, fam- there wasn't a private conversation. Everybody knew everybody else's business, and you had to wait till everybody else was done. Oh, the joy of the good old days. Well, those boys thought I had made all that up. They couldn't, they couldn't believe it. But that encounter reminded me of how far we've come with these little devices right here, and how much we de- depend on them, and particularly how much of a guide they have become to us. I don't know about you, I need a guide. I need some help from the Lord. How about you? Because quite often I'm lost. Now I'm not talking about my salvation, but I'm lost in trying to navigate through these uncharted waters. We're in such a different day that we're lost. We need a guide. I had a friend call, it's been a couple of months ago, and, uh, and, and, and was, they, were reached, they were having a very difficult time with all kinds of circumstances and something about their circumstances must have reminded them about a difficult time that I've been through. And this person called me and, and they said, um, Dan, is it true that you've been to hell and back? And I said, yes. And this person said, I need a tour guide because that's where I find myself. I'm in a difficult time and I've got to get back. I need a guide, I feel lost because of my circumstances, what's going on, and thank God, we got a GPS on here to tell us where to go, there's reviews on here to tell us where we, where we ought to eat and what everybody else thinks of it, multiple ways we can find out about anything we need to find and, and find the closest one to us from wherever we are at that moment, and thank God we have that, because folks, whether you want to admit it th- or not this morning, we're lost. Sometimes we're as lost as last year's Easter egg, right? And the reality of it is when we come to life we need a guide we need the helper somebody say amen Amen. doesn't matter how much you think you've got it all together we really have no idea where we're going particularly in these days we're lost and it's very easy to feel lost and in this past year of 2020 with its and pandemic it has underscored just how lost we are i can tell you i've certainly felt it as a leader certainly felt it as a pastor one day this week i was on a group Uh, text with about three other pastor friends of mine, one, most of them east of here in other states, and just talking about what it is to pastor in this environment and in this climate, and it was uncanny how many of the same kinds of issues that we're dealing with, but every pastor that I talk to wonders, what does the church of tomorrow look like? What does it look like? And the truth is, I have no idea, and neither does anybody else. Who can really tell us when COVID is going to be over? Who can really tell us what the church is going to look like when this is all over? Who can really tell us what your life is going to look like when we get past all this? Whether we admit it or not, we're lost because we are in uncharted territory and each in our own individual way. Maybe this is the first time you've hit uh, marital tension or in a long time and it's, or it's new for you and, and you're not sure how to navigate through that. You need a guide. You need help. Maybe the uncharted territory for you is, is financial difficulty and, and for whatever reason, maybe you lost your job this year and you can't find your way on the path through that. Or maybe you are in a, a new job and trying to learn the environment and the culture uh, of the new responsibilities and expectations that they, that they placed upon you. It could be anything for which you say, I've never had this happen to me before. I've never been in this situation before. This is uncharted territory. Uh, Maybe you're facing uh, this first time of experiencing what we call the role reversal that takes place when your parent becomes the child and you as a child become the parent. The the, uh, responsibilities emotionally and physically and in many other ways, they just shift at that time. And it feels odd the first time you feel it. When you've always had mama and you've always had daddy and they were the ones looking out for you and watching for you and helping to guide you and suddenly they've reached an age where that responsibility has to flip. And you may be facing that for the first time. That may be the uncharted territory for you. I can assure you that time and time again, you will step into new territory, but you'll discover you have to have a guide. Well, all of these thoughts put my attention on Joshua because he is a man who led the entire nation of Israel into brand new territory, a place they'd never been before, to fight battles and walk through hardship and to take back ground from the enemy. And what we see here is that when God comes to Joshua to give him his assignment, Joshua doesn't even flinch. He doesn't even hardly blink. Let me show you how the encounter went. In Joshua 1, Moses dies and God comes to Joshua in what is the first recorded conversation between God and Joshua. And God says this to Joshua. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And I want you to lead these people into the promised land. So be strong and take courage. Do not fear nor be afraid for I will be with you and I will give you every place your foot touches and I will be with you in the same way I was with Moses. My goodness, what a daunting message that would be received from the Lord. Terrifying in many ways. But Joshua's reply, look what he said, his reply went like this in Joshua 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord God is giving to you. Does that sound like fear to you? So you have to go, what's his secret? What on earth is his secret? Well, let me tell you what I think. I think we find it in the 11th verse of our our text where the bible explicitly says in exodus 33:11 inside the tent of meeting and you're going to hear this verse until you don't want to hear it no more today inside the tent of meeting the lord would speak to moses face to face as one speaks to a friend afterward moses would return to the camp and this may be the secret but the young man who assisted him joshua son of nun would remain behind in the tent of meeting he stayed in the tent With everything else moving ahead, he stayed in the tent. He remained behind saying, no, I understand everything else is moving on, but I'm going to stay right here in the presence of God. And I would suggest to you, church, that it was his times of remaining behind. There's another word I like to use, lingering lingering in the presence of God. The church seems to almost have, ha, to, to have lost the ability and understanding of how to linger in the presence of God. But it was Joshua's remaining behind, lingering in God's presence, that God stirred something inside of him to give him the boldness that we see in him. And then later on in the story, we see when Moses was about to die, Moses was having one last conversation with God. He was concerned about the succession plan Uh, Moses was asking God, you know, what's going to happen here? Who's going to take over leading these people? And we see Moses' exact request in Numbers chapter 27. Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Please appoint a new man as leader for the community. Give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and will lead them into battle. In other words, bring them a great leader, God. So the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. I would love to rabbit trail that, but I'm not going to. God then gives Moses an answer, which gives us great insight into Joshua and all the years leading up to the very moment. So Moses has made his request, and God replied like this. He says, take Joshua, son of Nun." who has the spirit in him and lay your hands on him. Do you see a list of qualifiers in that response from God? Do you see a long list of, what? Uh, let me, let's, let's note what it doesn't say. Doesn't matter how great a warrior he is. Doesn't matter how famous he is. Doesn't matter how charismatic he is. Doesn't matter how good looking he is. It doesn't matter how many followers he has on Twitter or friends on Facebook. Doesn't matter. God says there's one prerequisite and only one. The only man that I'm choosing is the one in whom the Spirit of God resides. How do you think that happened for Joshua? How do you think that happened? I believe Joshua received this inhabitation of the Spirit by staying in the tent and by remaining behind. He could have had all the other options that we have. He could have rushed back out into life, could have gotten back onto a schedule, could have done all kinds of things, but he gave great value to remaining in the presence of God, folks. Something supernatural can happen when you stay in God's presence. When you're willing to stay in the tent. Something supernatural can happen. So if you're feeling lost today, and I have people tell me that all the time. I just feel lost. If you're feeling lost today in any way, and I'm not particularly talking about your salvation. Talking about feeling lost in any aspect of your life. If you feel lost today in your soul in your mind, your will, your emotions, something inside you just feels utterly lost. I think there's some things, some lessons we can learn from Joshua, and I'm going to get to them quickly. And I find them all in our text. In fact, I find them all in that ele- uh, 11th verse. In fact, I find them all in the last part of the 11th verse of our text. And let me, let me read it again, and then I'm going to suggest these three things to you lessons from Joshua. After Moses would return to the camp, the young man who assisted him, Joshua son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Here's the first thing I lesson I think you should learn from Joshua. Pursue God's presence, not God's person. Pursue God's presence, not God's person. What do you mean by that? I'll show you. Look again at verse 8. Of our text back up a little bit to see more specifically how things happen whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting all the people would get up and stand at the entrances of their own tents and they would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside the tent of meeting all eyes on Moses all eyes on the leader all eyes on the man of God all of the action of Israel would happen as a man would meet with God but remember that we read that when Moses would go back then into the camp, he would leave the tent of meeting and go back into the camp. His assistant, the young man Joshua, would basically say, "Hey, hey, if it's okay with you, could I, could I, could I just stay here in the presence of God?" Now, let's be honest. Most of us. Uh, if we had been the assistant to Moses, we would have just followed up right behind him, and wherever he had gone is where we would have gone. We were afraid we were going to miss out on something, so we would be right there with him because that's what we need to do. But it has to be greatly admired in Joshua, hear me, hear me, hear me, that although he loved and served the man of God, he was not fixated on the man of God, he was fixated on the God in the man. Did you get that, or do I say it again? He wasn't fixated on the man of God. He was fixated on the God and the man. And can I be real honest with you? The church has messed that up. Royally, we've messed that up. Please hear me. Do not base your faith on a man. Do not base your faith even on a church. Do not base your faith on a television evangelist. Do not base your faith on anybody you're watching on YouTube. Because all of those people will, starting with me, they will fail you. They will let you down because we're human. We're all human. Joshua's success story was because he remained behind, not because he followed along. There's a big difference. His success was because he remained behind in the tent of meeting, not because he followed along. So stay in the tent. Stay in the presence of God. Now don't get me wrong, honoring leaders and pastors is appropriate, even the scripture says, even double honors, the Bible says, but there is a big difference between honoring leaders and placing leaders on a pedestal. You need to know the difference. When you place a leader on a pedestal, it is no different than raising up an idol as they did in the Old Testament. Now let me be a little more blunt about it. When you build a pedestal for a leader, what you're really doing is you're building gallows for the enemy to hang them on. There is only one savior and his name is Jesus. There is only one who is worthy of your praise and adoration and his name is Jesus. We have come to this place today to exalt one man and that is that Jesus Christ, our Lord and savior. So stay in the tent. I believe the reason Joshua was able to lead in uncertain and difficult times is because he did not place his faith in a man. He placed his faith in God and he stayed in the tent. Pursue God's presence, not a person, not a man. Here we go again. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. Now this time I want you to see the title on Joshua's business card. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. The second lesson we learn from Joshua is this. Before Joshua was assigned, he assisted. Before Joshua was assigned, by the way, do you know your assignment from heaven? If not, you need to ask the Lord to reveal it to you. I know mine. What is your assignment? You have one. Do you know your assignment? But before Joshua was assigned, he assisted. Now, he went on to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, absolutely. He would go on to shout at the Jericho walls and watch them fall. He would go on to look up at the sun and say, Son, stand still! He was a warrior of warriors and went on to do amazing things. Also, we know that as long as Moses' hands were raised and being held up, the Israelites were winning the battle. We read that in the Old Testament. But guess who was down there on the battlefield doing all the fighting? It was Joshua. So before Joshua was ever a warrior, he was a servant. And the question I'm going to have to challenge you with this morning is this. Can you serve someone else's vision before God gives you yours? Can you serve someone else's vision before God gives you yours? Joshua was willing to serve another man's vision before God would ever give him his. Does that mean he agreed with him all the time? Probably not. Does it mean the way Moses did everything was the way Joshua would do it? Probably not. They're different people, different rhythms, different personalities. I often hear folks talk about the fact that they're waiting on the Lord waiting on the Lord for either for their assignment, waiting on the Lord for, for, for whatever it is, waiting on the Lord to move them into their next new season. That's a very good thing. I wanna go ahead and tell you now, um, it, probably He's waiting on you as well. And, and if you're waiting on God today, it means one of two things. It could mean this, if you're still waiting, you've been earnestly seeking the Lord, it, and you're not really getting what you the direction you think you should have, it could mean one of two things. One is, possibly, you're not ready. Nothing wrong with that. It just means that some time needs to pass and some things need to happen in you for you to get ready. And that's happened to all of us. But it could mean that, number one, you're not ready. You don't feel bad about that. Just accept it. Or it could mean, if you think you're ready and you think you're, you're, you're really ready to go and almost anxious about it, it could mean that your assignment is not ready for you. Some of you, never mind. I'm not going to do that. So what do you do in the waiting? You stay in the tent. I can't hear you. You remain behind in the presence of the Lord. That's what Joshua did. And you know, Scripture actually gives us a pattern about this thing called serving. Let me run two or three of them for you. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, and he then served in Potiphar's house, and he was thrown into prison. You know that. But before Pharaoh ever gave Joseph the ring of power and told Joseph he was in charge of all of Egypt and no one would be more powerful, before all that, Joseph was a servant. You know the story. Before David was the next king, he was a servant to the current king. By the way, the current king who was throwing spears at him day and night. Before Jesus was ever a savior, he was a servant. Think of the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was to receive a double portion of the anointing of Elijah. Wow. And the time would come when Elisha would take on the mantle of Elijah. And the same river that Elijah struck with the cloak and saw the water's part, in just a few for, short verses later, Elisha would take that same cloak and strike the water and, and see the water part also. But before that ever happened, here's what we read happened in Elisha at 1 Kings 19. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their fish and using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah. And what'd he do? Became his servant. And then Elisha would go on to do miraculous things as well. So in your season of of waiting... In your season of feeling lost and having no idea what the world's going to look like going forward, maybe it's time for you to turn back to the basics and simply say this, who can I serve? Who can I serve? Now, folks, let's be honest. That is so counterculture to us. We we live in a me-centered society. We want to say, who's going to serve me? But we live by a different order. We live by a different standard. We're part of a different kingdom. Am I right about it? The question should be, who can I serve? Who can I make this life about instead of making it all about me? Maybe the best, I suggest this, maybe the best way to bring peace into your own life is to bring peace into someone else's life. Serving them so that there is peace for them. I'm going to say this very, very, very carefully. I know many folks really battle with Depression. And I know there's clinical depression. I understand all that. I know there's, there are issues in the brain. I, 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 I understand all that. But can I just tell you what my experience has been watching so many people? It is this. One of the best cures for depression is to go serve somebody else. One of the best cures to get yourself out of the dark hole that you have managed to get yourself into, particularly in a pandemic when the only thing that's played in your mind is your own narrative. You haven't had anybody else to talk with, so you played your own narrative over and over in your mind, and, and you know what? Vain imaginations got a little mixed in there somehow. And all kinds of stuff has has happened for so many people. And if you're one of those that's managed to find yourself into a dark place, particularly in these months of pandemic, can I tell you the best thing you could do is look around and find who can you go serve? Who can you help? Who can you be a blessing to someone else? And what will happen is your heart will be so full of, of thinking of what you can do to bless and what you can do to help somebody else. You won't have time to think about your own issues. And it will lift, as you lift others, it will lift you out of the dark hole that you're in. Who can you serve? Before Joshua was assigned, he assisted. The third thing we learned from Joshua is this. Number three, stay in the tent. When you don't know what else to do, when you don't know where else to go, when you don't know what else to say, just stay in the tent. Deliberately and intentionally remain in God's presence. Learn how to linger. Learn the value of lingering in God's presence. Doesn't mean getting nervous. Doesn't mean, getting your t- doesn't mean this. Learn the value of lingering in God's presence. And let me tell you what that could also mean. When you don't feel like coming to church, come to church. That's staying in the tent. And probably the fact that you don't feel like it, is the biggest reason you need to come to church. When you don't feel like reading the Word of God, read the Word of God. Are you going to be driven by your feelings? Or are you going to be driven by the value of staying in the tent in the presence of God? What's your choice going to be? When you don't feel like worshiping God, you, you drive in here and, and somebody's cut you off on the freeway or you missed your exit and, and whatever else happened and, and you got a phone call that upset you or you got an email or a text that, that you know sent you sideways and you walk in here. That is the most important time you need to lift your hands and say, but God, I'm yours. Today, I'm gonna stay in the tent. I'm gonna cast off all this other stuff They can call me a hypocrite, they can call me whatever they wanna call me. I'm not being a hypocrite when I come into your presence and I lift my hands. That is the most important time for you to worship. When you don't feel like praying, you need to pray. That's staying in the tent, staying in the tent. It's all part of the process of staying in the tent. I'm gonna remain, I'm gonna remain, I'm gonna stay in the tent. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp but the young man who assisted him Joshua son of Nun would remain behind in the tent of meeting I just wonder can you remain behind in his presence when everyone else is moving on can you remain behind in his presence when everyone else is moving on or do you suffer from FOMO Do you know what FOMO is? What's FOMO? I can't hear you. How many of you suffer from FOMO? I've had just a tad of that myself. There's something happening over here. I gotta be, and then there's something happening over here. Some people have to just chase the biggest thing that's going on right now. If you suffer from FOMO, then you're gonna have a problem staying behind in the tent and in his presence when everyone else is moving on. Be aware of that. Lord, deliver us from FOMO. And the church said. But think about what it means when it says that Moses returned to the camp. Because that's what we've read several times, Moses returned. Because camp would have symbolized a few things. Camp would have symbolized comfort Campus where the food was, hello. Campus where the bed was for resting. Campus where all the people were. Camps where all the action was. Camps where the crowds were. But Joshua said, I'm gonna stay in the tent. I'm staying in the tent. And while he may not have received the comfort that camp brought to others, he was spending time with the comforter the only true place for comfort. When everyone else is going to social media for comfort, when everyone else is calling their friends make somebody have them feel better, everyone else is going to culture, he stays in the tent with the comforter. Joshua may not have had a bed in the tent like all the others had in the camp, but Joshua found a different type of rest. He found rest for his soul when he stayed in the tent. You may say, I'm just so exhausted, Pastor, I am so tired. You know what my answer is for you? That's it. That's where you'll find rest that no bed could ever give you. Joshua may not have had the food in the tent like all the others found in the camp, but you know what he did receive? He received the bread of life. The bread of life. The only food, the only drink where you will never truly hunger or thirst again. It's what he gets when he stayed in the tent. Joshua may not have been around uh, people as he would have been in the camp, But the companionship he found in the tent could never be compared. With all the craziness that may have contributed to you feeling that sense of being lost, can I just tell you the truth? You don't need more money. You don't need more time. You don't need more companionship. You don't need more of all the things that our fleshly bodies crave. You need to stay in the tent. Why? Because staying in the tent... Puts something in you that will qualify you. That's what it does. As we read much earlier, the only qualification that matters to God is a man or a woman in whom the spirit resides. A man or a woman who can be fully satisfied, staying in the tent, that's the qualification. A man or woman who is not distracted by the things of this world, oh my goodness, the distractions are plenteous for us today. The ups and downs of our culture, the ups and downs of our economy, The ups and downs of our politics, the ups and downs of the stock market, the ups and downs of circumstances, the ups and downs of our situation. And God would say the only thing that brings stability and steadiness in every area of our life is someone who remains in the tent. Those people have a peace. Those folks have a stability. Those are the ones who have a hope. Not hope in this world. Not hope in just getting back to camp. No, they're okay, really okay, with just staying in the tent. So what do you do when you feel lost? What do you do when you're confused? Let me give you the words of Jesus before I wrap this up. Remain in me. Stay in the tent. And when you do stay in the tent... I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. So those who remain... You're getting weak on me. So those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words abide in you, you may ask what you will and it shall be done. We used to sing. You can ask for anything you want. It will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and that brings great glory to my Father. But that let me be honest with you. It's a lot easier to preach this than it is to do it. A lot easier to preach it than it is to do it. My hope in communicating this message to you today is that somehow these very words, one of the reasons I've been so overbearing about having you respond with me is I want those four words to be written on the wall of your heart today. I want you to get on that beach street and, and go get on the freeway, go south, go north, whichever way you're going to go. And I want those words, stay in the tent, to be echoing in your heart, echoing in your mind today. And when you're tempted to go back into the camp, when you're tempted to leave the place of his presence, when, you, when, you're, tempted, when you're tempted to go back in the camp, what are you going to do? When you're tempted to lash out at somebody, what are you going to do? When you're tempted to worry about your circumstances, what are you going to do? When you're tempted to fear because of the last piece of news you've gotten or something's overwhelming you, what are you going to do? When you're tempted to act on your emotions, what are you going to do? My last point, Pastor Branch, you'll come. Joshua had to remain in the tent with his feet because it was a physical place. It was the tent of meeting, as we know. But it's different for you and I. You and I have to remain in the tent, not with our feet, but with our faith. That's how we remain in the tent. What, what do you mean by that, Pastor Dan? When on the cross, Jesus uttered those final words, it is finished. The veil of the temple was rent in an instant, revealing that holy place which made it clear that we have direct access to, access to the very presence of a holy God. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 6.19, the words of Paul make it clear to us that you and I are dealing with a completely different kind of tent. He said this in 1 Corinthians 6.19, have you forgotten that your body is now the sacred temple of the spirit of holiness who lives in you? You don't belong to yourself any longer. For the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside your sanctuary. We stay in the tent by our faith. We stay in the tent by our faith. Stay in the tent. Talk to your emotions today. Stay in the tent. Talk to your fears today. Stay in the tent. Talk to your circumstances today. Stay in the tent. That's what I'm going to do by the grace of the Lord Jesus. It is by faith that we come into the presence of the Lord. It is by faith that we worship him in spirit and in truth. It is by faith that we linger in his presence. And the church said...